Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Listen up, high school juniors and seniors, IBC Connect. Our preview weekend is your chance to see what Bible College is all about. March 7th, 8th, and 9th, 2019 is your opportunity to visit campus, classes, chapel, and more. If you or someone you know is considering Bible College, this event is a must-attend for that individual. Registration is open. Make sure you visit indianabiblecollege.org forward slash connect to register and for more information. If you attend Connect, there's little doubt in my mind that you'll be able to meet the man behind the voice on today's episode. Charles Robeson is the student body president here on campus and the preacher of today's sermon, The Eradication of Pentecostal Pride. Galleon for just being an excellent leader to us all and an example. And I'm thankful for each and every one of you. I'm thankful you made the choice to come back this semester or come here for the first time. And I'm thankful that you're here in chapel today. Before we go much further, if you would allow me just one moment, we're going to turn to Psalms chapter 119, and I'm going to get the rest of us ready. It is such an honor to be able to be here today. Such an honor just to be able to, to be with my peers. It's, it truly is. This, you guys are the easiest and best group of people to minister with because everybody's so supportive and encouraging, and we're all going for the same things. So thank you very much for everything all of you do. We're going to go to Psalms chapter 119. We're going to start in verse 32. I will run the way of thy commandments. When thou shalt enlarge my heart, teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Establish thy word unto thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach, which I fear, for the judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. And there were a couple of these verses. I'm going to just focus in on verses 36 through 38. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Establish thy word into thy servant who's devoted to thy fear. We're going to tie in Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I believe that David is expressing to us a plea as he prays and sings to God in Psalms 119 to help him to be humble, to help him not to be filled with pride as he's saying, Turn away his eyes from beholding vanity and incline the heart to the testimonies and establish thy word, which is devoted in fear. So let's pray right now that God can anoint this service, 
and then we will go from there. Thank you, Jesus, for this time together together today. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to come before you. Lord, we're so grateful for all that you've already done this today, this week. God, we have felt your presence in such a mighty way. So, Lord, we ask you just to anoint this time, anoint this service. We're so thankful, God, that we can just come and learn from you and be transformed by you. You are all that we are here for, God. We are here to serve you today. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Talking a little bit about pride today. And pride is kind of a tricky thing to talk about at first. You see, because there's a little bit of an indignant part of all of us that any time we begin to talk about pride, we'll most naturally just begin to, you know, get defensive and try to, in some way, pretend that we don't have pride. We, that's why pride is such a controversial topic, because there's still a little bit inside of each one of us. It's, it plays off of the natural humanity. And of course, pride is a big deal, because we see in 1 John 2, 15 through 16, that that is one of the things. The pride of life is one of the things that can keep us from receiving the love of God in our hearts. And so pride is a very important thing, and it is important to discuss. However, it seems that pride is a little bit of a perpetual problem. It seems from what I've heard from other ministers or from what, from what I've experienced even in my own life, it seems that whenever you've, you feel like you've crucified it, when you just got over it, it feels like the moment that you just achieved your victory over your pride, it almost seems that God's ready to show you how it's there in a new way. It almost seems as if God is trying to show you that it's there in a different manner, just maybe a little more discreet than how you'd seen before. So Quincy, if you could come up and help me for a second, please. I believe that pride today is a little bit like an onion. I think pride and onions have a pretty strong correlation. So if you want to, get ready to help me whenever you're done. You may be wondering, what in the world do these two things have in common? First of all, that is a fresh onion. And I don't know if you can tell us the fresh onion, but if not, you probably will soon because it's very pungent. The, f the first thing that happens, there, there are several things that are recognizable about the properties of an onion. The first, of course, is what happens when you cut the onion. The onion stinks. The onion makes you cry. Whenever you cut through the onion, it lets off this sort of pungent aroma. And I feel like sometimes when we cut into pride, our attitude is that same pungent aroma. We can get a little defensive, and so if we're not careful, we are emitting a negative spirit we are, we are getting, we're getting a bad attitude because God is just gently trying to show us how to be humble in his image. Another thing is, just like when you cry with onions, sometimes when we face God in our pride, he could lead us to tears. And that was just kind of a, a humorous coincidence. But really what I want to focus on is that pride, like onions, have layers. And we all know that onions have layers, and so... What I want to do is just quickly, if Quincy, kind of show us, show us the depths of an onion, if you would. I want to read C.S. Lewis. He says in Mere Christianity, Vanity, though it is the sort of pride which shows the most on the surface, is really the least bad and most pardonable sort. It shows that you're not yet completely contented with your own admiration. 
The real black diabolical pride comes when you look down on others so much that you do not care what they think of you. You see, in Psalm 73, 6, it says, Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. You see, the thing about pride and the thing about layers is that we can recognize so easily the first layer, the skin of the pride. We can see it, we can recognize it whenever somebody boasts on themselves, whenever somebody walks around with a chip on their shoulder and an arrogant attitude. We can very clearly see that pride, but as C.S. Lewis says, that is not the most dangerous sort of pride. You see, I can remember a senior in high school, whenever I would revel in the affirmation that I received from being in football and band and speech, and you know, I would look at this as a pedigree of some sort, and I know that there are people who come here, whatever walk of life you're in, that have these vices that try to give you the affirmation, that try to build you up. And so you look at these things, and you look at all of the things that you can do or do well, and those are what you get, those are what you get gratification from. And of course, we know this to be pride. This is the most basic form of pride. However, there's other forms of pride. And so it's continually, if it's not continually dealt with, you'll find your pride reaching out into other things. You'll find your pride at deeper and deeper levels. See, we may come here to Bible college and we may expect that once we get to an altar that all of a sudden it's going to be done. But we're going to see that that same attitude lingers in every other part and we have to continue to go at it. You see, the pride that was once so proud of their position that they played or the weights that they lifted or the instrument that they played is now found in their ability to preach or sing for recognition or opportunity. You see, the same pride is found whenever you wear holiness as a badge of how good you are. Whenever, and you may not say this pride because C.S. Lewis says that you won't say this pride. We don't, we don't, like, to be, we don't like to show that we have this pride. But whenever you're walking around and, and maybe you have a bit of a condescending attitude showing that, well, I, I didn't do that. I'm glad that I'm better than this person. I'm, I'm glad that I'm a little bit more saved than this person. You see, maybe it's our service. Maybe it's our prayer and our fasting that we don't ever do it for show because we know the Bible says that's wrong, but yet somehow we never miss an opportunity to let it be known that we do it. Somehow, somehow we let it be an entitlement to ourselves to show that, even if nobody else knows it, I'm definitely more spiritual because I serve in this capacity or I've prayed this week or i fasted this week. Maybe that's the layer of pride that we're at and God's trying to deal with us. Or maybe it's something that our prayers can be self-centered if we're not careful. Maybe this is the most discreet type of pride is that we are thinking we're praying to God, for God, but instead we might be praying for us. You see, layers of an onion, as Quincy has demonstrated, there's layers of pride. You can keep digging and you can searching until you get to the very center. Quince, have you reached the center? Thank you very much. The center of an onion. You know what the center of an onion is called? It's called a heart. When you dig at the center of your pride, when you dig at the center of all that you're trying to get out of your system, of course, of course, you're going to run into the heart. And you're going to have to check that heart. You're going to have to make sure that heart is submitted. Just like the center of an onion, you're going to have to get to the center of all your pride. You're going to have to get to the center of everything that God's trying to deal with you. And it may not be pretty. It may not be the most encouraging 
time with God that you've ever had, but I promise you it's going to be one of the most necessary times you've ever had with God. Because the thing about pride, as we read earlier, is that pride cometh before destruction, and a haughty spirit leads to a fall. And if we're sick and tired of hearing the fact that all of our ministering friends are going to fall and backslide, then I think it's time that maybe we start looking at ourselves and seeing what we can do about it. Is there anybody else who's sick and tired of generations that are leaving this truth, who are getting so caught up in themselves that they're not willing to address the issue? They're not willing to cut into the attitude. They're not willing to allow their spirit to cry out a bit. They're not willing to address these layers. Maybe they're scared of the layers. Maybe they think they've completed it once they've got past the initial, the initial boasting of yourself. Maybe we're afraid to really dive in and recognize that God's trying to call us deeper to a level of submission we've never seen. But regardless of what it is, there's a heart. There's a heart inside of each one of us. And if we're not careful, it's going to be deceitful and desperately wicked. But we have a hope of a new creation. We have the hope of being transformed. So I'm not preaching this message to try to bring condemnation to each one of us because of where we're at. I'm trying to preach this message to recognize that regardless of where we're at, God can move on our heart and he can transform us into his image and we can have something with him that we've never experienced before in our lives. See, you can't lie to your heart. And this is why this is so tricky. The pride is less visible. The pride is found in earnest. And this is, this is what I'm going to address today is maybe pride that's found in earnest. It sounds kind of juxtapositional. I understand. It sounds contradictory. But a lot of times I believe that our pride is not sincere. I don't believe it's sincere in the sense that we're trying to be prideful. I believe that our pride is meant to be towards God. But maybe we're, maybe we're just uncareful. Maybe we don't allow ourselves to be humbled fully. And so it can begin with aspirations and desires for the kingdom. But subtly and unaware, attitudes of exaltation creep in. We may not realize we're dealing with this sense of Pentecostal pride. This is a pride that's only found after the vanity is stripped away. And today, that is my sermon title. This is what I want to deal with. I want to deal with the eradication of Pentecostal pride. This is a pride that... Obviously, by the title, we recognize that the most, most people and the average person probably doesn't deal with. This isn't the pride that we're so familiar with of watching people in Hollywood. This is the pride that comes to ministers. This is the pride that's hard because it's in your heart. So we're going to talk first from Numbers chapter 12, verse 2. You see, for pride to set in, you first have to allow yourself any sort of inkling to question authority. Numbers chapter 12 and 2. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. This was Miriam and Aaron. These were the other people who God entrusted to be the leaders of Israel. And at one point, they just allowed themselves to say, Well, we heard God too. We heard God. And so they began to question whether or not Moses was the only one in authority. Number 16, verse 3, we see a similar scenario, the crowd this time. And they gathered together themselves against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves among the congregation of the Lord. You see, in these two instances, we see people who are, in a sense, justifying 
justifying their pride because they recognize, Miriam and Aaron recognize that they are also leaders. And the, pride, the tribe of Israel also recognize that they're saved of God. But see, there's an issue whenever we begin to question authority. There is an issue whenever we begin to think of ourselves as equal to our authority. You see, there's a reason that we have to be submitted. There's a reason. It is, yes, it is our protection, but they are our guides. And this can go in any way, shape, and form. This isn't just, a lot of times this can come across as a helpful way. You know, we, maybe as Bible college students, we feel a little bit more comfortable recognizing the doctrine that somebody misspoke about at, at, at a speaking event. Maybe we, we're, we're listening to preaching and all we can hear is, oh, they said that wrong. Oh, I, I, know, I, know, how to, I know how to fix that. I know, how to, I know how to speak a little bit more eloquently than that. And you see, maybe it comes from a sense of the fact that we, we're grateful for our training here at Bible College. And maybe it's an expression and some sort of gratitude towards those who have taught us to be discerning. But maybe, in another sense, it's the fact that we're unwilling to allow the authority be the authority. You see, we can't take one isolated moment of somebody's speech and then condemn them for all that they've said. We can't take one moment of the song they select and condemn them for everything they've ever done and then in some sort act like we know more than them because we have experience more than them. Just because we have understanding doesn't mean that we can question our authority. You see, we have to look at somebody in their whole lives. And of course, we've heard different scenarios at Bible college about if a, if a leader is corrupt, there may be a time where you, in the presence of God, are allowed to step away from that situation. But I don't think that that's taken to be the extreme for every minister who does something different from how we like it. You see, there's a little bit of a murmuring. There's a little bit of a murmuring, and it's, a, it's kind of a hypercriticism. Hypercriticism of everybody who's in the pulpit, that's not us. Because I promise you, if, you would never have made that mistake. You would have never said something that was inadvertent to what you meant. You never would have accidentally taken a verse out of context. And these are the things that if we don't pray and seek for God to keep us from vanity, to fear the Lord with our heart, these are the things that will lead us to destruction. These are the things that will lead us to a fall. See, maybe we aren't a fan of the rule that the authority has put in our life or the hindrance. Leadership, serving leadership is not hard when you can get everything you want or when you agree with everything. We know this. We've heard it in classes Servitude comes to its, to its utmost submission whenever we have to disagree with somebody. Whenever we have to disagree with the leader and the authority. Maybe you don't see it that way. Maybe you don't have that conviction. But are you going to be submitted to your authority? And are you going to allow the Spirit of God to come forth from you? Because without authority and without submission, we will not have anointing. We will not have, the, you will not be in right alignment with God. See, these are very important things. Maybe, maybe they're just little things that could turn into a big thing. Maybe here's another one. Sometimes we compare ourselves. 2 Corinthians 10 and 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves that some commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It's a little bit of a wordy verse, but what it essentially means is maybe your problem is not questioning authority. Maybe your, maybe your conflict is questioning the person that the authority chose to be over you for that moment. Maybe it's conflict with a peer who was given authority, 
and you're not quite sure how to handle it. You see, when, whether, without a reverence to the authority, it becomes easy to question our peers because we've doubted the authority that's put them in the position. This, can, this doesn't just apply to positional leadership as we might perceive it to be. This can be anybody who steps up here to preach or anybody who steps up here to sing. And maybe there's a little bit of a chip on your shoulder that says, I, I've had more experience or I've had more training. Maybe this should be my opportunity. How did they get up there when I didn't? These are real things that sometimes ministers can go through. Brother Kilman thankfully has been honest to us and said that there was a time whenever he some of those same questions. This isn't to say that if you're having these thoughts or you're not sure if, if you're in right alignment that you're hopeless. But it is to say that we can take captive every thought. That we can decide that we're going to not, not go through this anymore. We're not going to question those people who are up in the platform or question those people who are our peers. Lest we be reminded that our talent does not equate to anything in God's kingdom. It's not our experience. It's not our resume. It's not the eloquence in which we speak. It's the fact that God chose who he chose, and he trusts the authority to execute that decision. We have to be reminded of this. Maybe it's not directly the authority. Maybe it's not your confrontation with peers. Sometimes there can be an opening for something else to step in. Psalms 8, verse 9, it says, I'm sorry, not Psalms, Acts 8 and 9. There was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Dropping down to verse 18. When Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands of the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, they may receive the Holy Ghost. You see, maybe there's another thing that can get in our way that we don't realize is pride, and that is our idolatrous ministry. That can be glorifying our ministry to the point where we forget who we are. You see, I know this example may talk about, may talk about selling your ministry out for money, but what I'm saying is he sold his relationship out for ministry. We can't be like Simon the magician. We can't allow ourselves to get so busy in the works of God that we forget God. You see, it doesn't matter if you're serving and nobody recognizes that you're serving, or it doesn't matter if you're preaching every weekend. If we allow ourselves to get so invested into ministry without investing into our heart, then we are idolizing our ministry before we're serving God. This isn't an easy thing to talk about. But you see, if we are so concerned about our next opportunity, if we're more concerned about how we're going to sound than how God's going to minister, if we're more concerned about what our next platform is, if we're more concerned about how we think we can promote ourselves, then we've sold out our, our relationship for ministry. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about selling your ministry out for money, and I know that's a real thing too. The devil will tempt us. I believe it. But there's also people at any level who are going to try to sell out your relationship for God, for, for ministry. You can't replace God with his work. You cannot replace your relationship with him for something for him. So 
doesn't matter what that is. It doesn't matter what avenue that is. You see, these are a couple attitudes that I decided to focus on in the, in the sense of, of pride, in the sense of trying to understand what I mean when I say Pentecostal pride. Because, like I said earlier, these are prides we don't normally talk about. But yet, they have seeds. They cast seeds that could lead to destruction. And if these are left unchecked, they will lead to our fall. One of the, 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 final, the final element, which is all of these combined, essentially, is that I want to talk about the pride of self-sufficiency. You see, the pride of self-sufficiency is a little bit deeper than the rest, in my opinion. The pride of self-sufficiency is the fact that you may not realize that you are self-sufficient. This can come in a lot of ways, and I believe that oftentimes this is, this is caught in prayer. This is caught in motive. This is caught in the heart. To me, this is one of the deepest levels, the deepest levels of trying to get to the heart of this onion is because we're trying to understand. We're, tr- we're trying to figure out what our goal is. You see, the pride of self-sufficiency states that, or it, it questions, pride of self-sufficiency questions what you're doing and why you're doing it. I can remember there have been times when I have maybe come into prayer, and I've started with familiar words. I started with praise, and I've started with thanksgiving, and I've started with, if I can be a little candid, words that I know have worked in the past. Words that I know have gotten me to that breakthrough in the past. And I have to be honest with myself and with all of you and say that we, I believe that we can take a serious evaluation to how we pray. Because, because, let me ask you this. What is our goal in prayer? What is our stopping point in prayer? And too many times I fear that our breaking point, our pride, or we, we get to the point where we are so content praying until we feel, we, we feel justified. You see, there's an issue that we feel that we can come into prayer and we can pray, and then, you know, whether it's been a long day, if, it, if, you've, if you're carnal, if you know you've sinned, all of us with the Spirit have that point where we know that we can, we can almost tangibly feel in our heart the blood wash over us and the Spirit wash through us, and we know what that is. We know that point where it's like, okay, I'm good, I'm in right alignment with God. But what I'm saying is that that's the zero point. That's like going from a negative number to zero. God doesn't want us to stop there. We should not be praying for a goal. We should be praying for God. We should be praying for the closeness of God. Yes, that involves a place of repentance and justification, but what I'm telling you is too often we sometimes settle for the temporary justification in an altar where we feel released from our sin and carnality and we are selling ourselves short of eternal justification that is a promise unto us. You see, this attitude of of getting to a place and stopping, or maybe you find yourself in a place where you are praying for the anointing. Let me tell you that it it is an easy thing to start to pray for anointing and forget that you're praying for a relationship can be an easy thing for somebody in this school to realize that they have gone months trying to pray so that they can get to the blessings of God and the anointing of God and they may have lost the sacred relationship with God. 
You see, this is the pride of self-sufficiency. The pride of self-sufficiency says that I'm going to pray to God for what I get. I'm going to pray to God for how I can minister. And this is why it's earnest, because maybe, maybe you're doing it to minister his name. Maybe you're doing it to be a witness. Maybe you're doing it to spread the gospel, and those are awesome. But if you're not doing it first and foremost to seek the kingdom of God, then you are losing your relationship. You are supplanting God so that you can feel justified, so that you can feel empowered, so that you can feel like you've got a one-up. You see, this pride is dangerous because we might not even recognize it, but it calls for submission. It calls for humility. It calls, it cries out for us to take whatever stance necessary against our own ugly flesh and to realize that we have an issue of the heart. We have to recognize that there is no motive. There is no end goal. There is no stopping point if we're going to be sincere in our prayer. We don't minister out of a prayer for anointing. We minister because we're close to God. The most important thing that we can do is be close to God. The most important thing we can do is reflect His image. The most important thing is not spreading the gospel because that will come secondary by nature if we are crucified with Christ in the reflection of His name. If we allow ourselves to realign the fact that we are trying to get close to Him, to hear His heart, to hear His thoughts, to know what he wants at all times, we're not going to be ministering out of an empty tank. We're not going to be trying to minister out of anointing that we have been praying for, specifically for the service. We're going to live a lifestyle. We're going to walk in a way that is anointed, that is blessed, that is empowered, but that's not our goal. That's not our end result. We're not trying to put on something for the sake of ministry. We're trying to get close to him. Here's, here's something that I feel very strongly about. You see this onion? You see this heart? It's, it's about time that we start dealing with this heart. And if I can be vulnerable a little bit more, this is a prayer, in a conversation I felt I had in prayer. And I'm, I know I've been very short, but uh, musicians, if you could come, I'm getting ready to open up the altars. See, I don't remember which service it was. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Sister Galleon's issue of the heart. And I, I can remember praying to God, and I was praying, I want to be close to you, I want to know you. But what I was doing, what I was praying for myself and the size of him. And I, know, I knew I came with a heavy heart. You know, when we're talking about the heart, we immediately start to feel that, we start to feel that conviction and maybe condemnation if we're not careful. And I felt God impressed questions in my mind. And he says, why do you hate sin? Why do you hate sin? And immediately, my, my response was, well, sin brings destruction. Wrong answer. Okay, well, sin takes me out of alignment with God. Once again, he said, wrong answer. And then it dawned on me, sin is simple. It's being insubmissive. He says, okay, good. Now, why do you submit? I said, it'll bless the work. In parentheses, you can almost hear it in my ministry. Wrong answer. Why do you submit? It's biblical. 
wrong answer. Why do you submit? Because I want to glorify God. You see, if we're not careful, we can allow submission to become a stepping stone to the anointing. If we're not careful, and if you, if you want to stand, you can. If we're not careful, then we're going to allow ourselves to say that we're submitted to God so that we know that we're empowered and anointed to preach and to sing. We're going to be fulfilling ourselves. We're going to be trying to reach to ourselves by saying, I submit to you, God. Strip away the preaching. Strip away the ministry. Strip away the need for anointing in our lives. And what is it? What do we have left? What if I wasn't a minister? Would I still submit? How much burden would it be if I couldn't see the results of my submission? Brother Brown challenged us and asked us, would you still serve God if you only had zero converts? If you never saw the fruit, would you still serve God? Why do we serve him? Why do we submit? Is it for ourselves? Is it so that we can be better whether anybody knows it or not? Is it so that we can know and have pride in saying, I was cleansed today, I was justified today, I can go out and do the work of God today, or is it all about him? You see, this pride that we're talking about, it can destroy you. It'll put you in chains, as the Bible says. It'll bring contention. But why is that? It's because this pride, this pride is taking us out of submission with God. And sometimes the pride is keeping us from realizing we need to be in submission to God. It's not a stepping stone. It's not a tool. It's not a familiar prayer so that we can push the buttons of the slot machine and get what we want, jackpot. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a closeness to God like we've never sensed before. We're looking for the heartbeat of God. And if we have nothing else, if we don't have another preaching engagement or singing solo, if we don't have anything else, then we want the closeness of God. If we can't hear anything else, we want the words of God and the heartbeat of God. We just want to know him. And so it's about time that we take this, the center of our pride, the heart of the onion, and it's about time that we just begin to throw it away. We need to eradicate this Pentecostal pride. How do we do it? How do we recognize it? What are the steps? It's okay if you recognize, God, I'm sorry, I'm praying for myself. But only if you take the next step. And that next step is, God, I'm sorry, I was praying for myself. God, I'm sorry, I was praying so that I could be blessed. God, I'm sorry that if I valued anointing or empowerment equal to or greater than you, I'm sorry if it was ever my substitute, God. Humble me now that I may go forward. If we stop ourselves there, we won't have to worry too much longer about Pentecostal pride. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I valued something that was a gift from you instead of valuing you. Out of this relationship, we will find holiness. Out of this relationship, we'll find anointing. Out of this relationship, we'll find everything we could ever need from God. But we cannot seek it until we seek Him. We cannot seek for these things to be the replacement of our relationship with Him. And so right now, I appreciate those who responded. If there's anybody else who wants to respond, we're looking for a response to God's heart. Don't settle for anointing. Don't settle 
for engagement and ministry. Don't settle for a questioning heart. Settle for nothing less than God. There's no end goal here. There's no breaking point here. There's only the point of seeing just how close you can get to God. And I'll give you a secret. He is infinite. You'll never get as close as you can to God. you in.